Hello folks, welcome back. I'm your host Simon Ward and this is the High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast where I can promise that you'll always hear a Yorkshire accent and we will never have any adverts. We try to chat with our guests about peak performance, fitness, health, nutrition, recovery, longevity, relationships and happiness because it doesn't matter whether you want to finish your first sprint triathlon, set a personal best at your next race or just keep turning up until you're in your 70s. Each of these elements has real significance. Now that we've got through the festive season, your thoughts may have turned to preparing for your events in the summer. In our SWAT community, we have hundreds of training plans available for a wide range of endurance events. Triathlons, ultra runs, sportive cycle races, long distance swims. You name it, we've got it. And if we haven't, then we're adding more each week. On top of that, we have a thriving Facebook community with over 150 like-minded athletes, with me as their coach, mentor, and accountability partner. If that sounds like something you might be interested in, please look out for the very obvious link in the show notes below. Okay, on to our guest for today. If you've completed an Ironman event in the UK during the last few years, there's a good chance that my guest today will have called you across the finish line. This year, you may also have had that pleasure at Ironman World Championships in St. George and Kona, Hawaii. Joanne Murphy is one of the best race day announcers in the world, and her brand of boundless enthusiasm and wit, coupled with her lovely Irish accent, have welcomed thousands of athletes to the finish lines, as well as entertained the finish line crowd while they wait for their loved ones. She had an interesting start to her announcing career, over 10 years ago so we should really just crack on and let Joanne tell her story of that journey well happy Christmas Joe um happy new year Joanne Murphy welcome to the show thank you so much and uh, many happy returns it is a uh, a cold wet day in the west of Ireland here today so I'm snuggled up in the office uh, chatting to you this afternoon yeah, it's no better in Yorkshire, I'm afraid. We tell people that it's always sunny in Yorkshire, but sadly, today's one of the days when I think we've got the same weather as you. Cold and wet and definitely better for being indoors. Um, so for um, for a lot of Ironman triathletes who listen to this, and definitely those who've been to uh, Bolton for Ironman UK, or maybe they've made the trip to Ireland, or maybe some of the lucky ones got to Kona this year, they may recognise your lovely Irish tones. For the rest of the people, maybe we should give them an introduction as to um, why you're on the podcast, what your history is, um, how I know of you. So let's let's start at the beginning, Joe. How did, how did you get into uh, announcing? And uh, We only have a short time frame, Simon, don't we, for this conversation, because, you know, I have a tendency to turn a short story into a long story, even though, you know, I might say, well, it's a short story, but it's a long story. I'll try and keep it as, as tight as possible. Um, I took up triathlon back in 2009 after playing team sports for for many, many years um, through school and college. And when I finished college and was working, I was playing tag rugby, rugby, did Irish dancing when I was a kid, played camogie, basketball, hockey, you name it. I was I was involved in sport and I always loved um, sports. So when the opportunity arose to take up triathlon in 2009, I grabbed it with both hands. Uh, I couldn't swim at the time. So I'm okay. like lots and lots of athletes that I'm sure you've come across over the years where cannot swim. Um, so I had to go and learn how to swim. But as, um, as I got into the the sport of triathlon I joined Galway Triathlon Club here our local club in Galway and fast forward to 2011 I won't bore you with the details in between um Ironman were coming to Galway for the very first Ironman 70.3 taking mm-hmm. place in Salt Hill I'm not sure if you'll remember but the weather was really really horrible on that day um anyhow uh, Mike Riley was over with us he was mm-hmm. announcing the event and I was um, the beginners officer for Galway Triathlon Club at the time, and we were organizing the Aquathon Festival. So I was involved in that. And two nights before the race, somebody said, we've no MC. And I was like, oh, sure, I can do that. I I know everybody. And if I don't know anything about them, because I'm the beginners officer, I pretty much had met everybody. If I don't know anything about them, I'll just make it up and I'll say it on the microphone. I mean, nobody's really going to be listening. Anyway, to make a long story short, that's the first time I'll say that. Um, the guys that were the local partners to Ironman here, because it was the UK team were bringing the event over, mm-hmm. they heard me on the microphone and uh, they asked me, would I announce 
the race. And I was like, no, I'm racing it. I've been training since January. This is something I want to do. And anyway, lo and behold, I had an injury and I only realized it about three weeks later. So I had to pull out of Ironman Ireland and I went to the guys and I said, that opportunity to announce the race, is that still there? And they said, yes, of course. And that literally is how it all started uh, on a very wet day in I think it was September 2011 in the back of a van at the side of transition I called the athletes out of the water uh, the timing system was brilliant it was so good the short the swim was shortened because the weather was really bad but that weather then affected the timing system into the van where I had all the athlete details I'd done mm-hmm. lots of research on the athletes that were racing and so I hopped out of the van and I went into the middle of transition and I just tried to make light of the fact that it was wet mm-hmm. and miserable and that the athletes were doing such a fantastic job in the in the weather and I didn't really know an awful lot of people at that time so I was only in the sport since 2009 I knew our own athletes but I recognized the tri club um tri tri gear uh, the tri suits and um I'm not sure if people had their names on their bibs back then Thankfully, they do now. It makes the job a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. So I literally stood in the middle of transition and just literally said, you know, good job. Well done. Congratulations. And just tried to keep the energy high while the rain continued to buck it down. And that really was where it all started. And I've never looked back since. And you got to work with Mike Riley straight off the bat, right? Yeah, absolutely. The very first time working with Mike Riley, uh, what a huge uh, opportunity it was. And uh, he's been a fantastic mentor and friend since that time. We clicked, really. I suppose Mike has Irish connections as well. Mm-hmm. He's very proud of his Irish heritage. And um, we've lots of fun when we're together. So he's been a great support over the past number of years. So, um so correct me if my memory's wrong here, but there was those first Ironman 70.3s. Then there was a bit of a hiatus, wasn't there, before um, the Ironman series came back to Cork? And the weather wasn't very good on that day either. Well, actually, the Ironman was in, Ironman 70.3 was in Galway for two years. And then I think it was maybe a two or three year break. And we went to Ironman 70.3 Dublin, which then turned into Ironman 70.3 Dunleary. And the last edition of that event was 2019. And that was the same year that we had Ironman Ireland. So the very okay. first full distance Ironman was in Ireland, in Cork, in Yall in 2019. And yes, that is another day where, <laughs> unfortunately, the weather did not play ball. It was sunny on Friday, sunny on Saturday, sunny on Monday. But on Sunday, there was absolutely no sunshine. Aside from the uh, work you've done with Ironman then do you do any other announcing I mean you haven't talked I know you, you said you were the beginner secretary for Galway Tri Club what, what what was your occupation then and, and what is what is the main occupation for you now because you're not commentating all the time are you Well, it's nearly a full-time gig at this stage, Simon. Um, So at the time when I did my very first announcing gig with Ironman, um, I was offered the opportunity to work with the team the following year um, by the managing director at the time. And so after Ironman Ireland, I went to a local race director here who runs a marathon. And I basically told them that I had been given the opportunity to work with the team in 2012, but I had no experience. I mean, the very first Ironman, the very first sports event I had announced was the Galway Aquathon a few weeks prior to the Ironman event. So he gave me a shot at announcing his event. And I actually have worked his event every single year since, with the exception of this year, because it was in Kona. I was working full time as a fundraiser in the national disability charity called Enable Ireland. So I was well used to speaking in front of people. I had worked previously for Use the Travel, again, going around the country, talking to people, engaging with people about traveling around the world um, some working visas in America and Australia and Canada. Um, so I wasn't shy of standing up in front of a crowd and talking, a lot of the work that you do as a fundraiser is presenting about the charity Mm -hmm. to groups of people or accepting checks and, um, you know, always in front of um, an audience. And then after, I suppose I was probably in the, in the, in that particular charity until 2013. And then I changed into, um, moved to the Irish Cancer Society, which would be a similar organization to Macmillan in the UK. And then in 2015, I decided that I had had enough of fundraising and I needed a change. I had been announcing as well as fundraising. It was a bit crazy. I was based in Galway, working out of Dublin and around mm-hmm. the country, working in the summer 
flying to the UK on a Thursday, back on a Monday, working in Dublin, maybe coming home for one night and then leaving again. It all just got a bit hectic and my heart really was in sport. So at the end of 2015, I decided I would pack in my full-time pensionable salary job and give sports presenting or life in sport a proper run. And so the the race director of the Galway Bay Marathon owned an events company and a marketing company. And he very kindly gave me a job for 20 hours a week doing some social media, some sports marketing. And I had a background in marketing as well. So I was really interested in sharing stories. So whether that's mm-hmm. on a finish line or whether that's sharing somebody's story through social media and even through my own podcast, helping to share stories, it all kind of culminated together. So I started working with those guys and that facilitated the time to start working on my own brand and my own business. And then it just all kind of spiraled from there. I guess when you're given time to do stuff on a project, that's a passion project, then you'll go and do it. It's not like work. Mm -hmm. Um, I did get injured as well. I raced in 2013. I did challenge Roths. I was flying as a triathlete as well as doing all the talking. I was loving it. I did challenge Roth in 2013, had signed up for Ironman Austria in 2014, but got injured again, came off my bike and fractured my pelvis. And at the time I was devastated, but had to find the silver lining. So my training buddy, when he'd go off on his big, long bike rides or his big, long runs, I would work on the brand, try talking sport, getting some bits and pieces done behind the scenes, working on building it into a a viable business. And so I guess the silver lining was, unfortunately, I couldn't race Ironman, but I was able to spend some time on the business mm. and I was still, um, you know, working full time um, at that time because that was back in 2014. And so then 2015, handed my notice Christmas, I finished Christmas week 2015 and 2016, I've been working full time in inverted commas as a presenter or I guess in sport. So in in the long answer to that very short question. I now fill my days working for different brands and different companies, um, helping to support them, doing some marketing consultancies, some event management. Mm. Um, and then obviously the podcast takes a lot of time as well. And I do some work for the university here in Galway as well. So there's lots to fill the day. But actually, as you know, being an announcer does take an awful lot of time because you have a lot of research to do before you go to every event. And there's a lot of pre-prep work that has to be done. And then after the event, you're exhausted. So you Mm -hmm. actually need to take back your one or two days of a weekend so you Mm -hmm. can recover from a big event. Well, I I wanted to ask you about that. You said in that first event, um, you were in the back of the van. You'd done done, tried to do some research, but then all of the electronics were going haywire. So you had to go outside. I mean, I'm I'm thinking back to some of the first announcing I did when you got a big sheet of paper with everybody's names on and and you tried to keep it covered. But if it rained, that was it. It turned into papier-mâché and you were just freestyling it then. But if you've got if if you can talk and you've got a sense of humour and you can have a little bit of a joke with people and and. Also, that sharing stories thing is is a thread that I've, I've you know, I've spoken to Mike Riley on the show. I've had Paul Kay, Barry Shepley, Steve Fleck. Um, they all love sharing stories. And I think that's a thread uh, that goes to all those people. And that's w- what makes great commentators and announcers great, isn't it? Is they're not just calling somebody's name across the line. They're, they're sharing a little bit of information. Steve King is another one. I don't know if you know Steve King from Ironman Canada, but he's he knows everything about everybody. Um, but let's let's go back to share a few secrets if you can, or the ones you prepared. Share about you about your pre race research. Oh gosh, I think uh, there's no secret to uh, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. I think it's a very common thing across um, across the board, no matter what you're going to do. I'm sure you were doing your preparation before you had me on oh, on yeah. the show today, because it's important that we have research or that we have knowledge, mm-hmm. um, and it's not just about turning up and saying you are an Ironman at the finish line of an Ironman event or whatever event that you're doing. Um, you know, you're trying to weave a story, you're trying to create a connection with people, and you want to be able to not only share the story but it's not just about the athletes it's about entertaining the spectators keeping them engaged Mm -hmm. um, and with you on that finish line because without spectators on the finish line you can't create that atmosphere yes the athletes want to hear you are an Ironman but the spectators want they want to feel the energy they want to feel the emotion and if you can tell a story about an athlete when they're coming across the finish line it's hugely important in terms of research 
It really depends, uh, Simon. If there's a pro race on, then there's a bit more pressure on in terms of the research that you need to do because you obviously need to have the information on the professional athletes. Mm -hmm. um, so you can weave their story and you watch the race and you're able to give insight into where they may have raced previously or um, some success or maybe some areas where maybe they DNF their previous race for a particular issue or they were injured. And again, it's about entertaining the crowd and sharing that story. And also geeing them up as well, because they can hear everything you say, you know, and and they bounce and they feed off the energy that you're giving the crowd with your story and your excitement. Um, you know, as, as an announcer, you don't just do the professional athletes. You're looking as well at some of the mm -hmm. age group athletes, especially the ones at the pointy end of the business. Um, I would have spreadsheets on some of the athletes that would have won races over the past number of years. Mm -hmm. And especially, you know, you see the likes of Tom Rigby or Dan McParland and some of those guys coming through. Um, I keep tabs on what they're doing. I follow them on Instagram. So I know who's racing where. And mm -hmm. you might see a little Instagram post about training for an event. And you'll, you know, contact them and say, are you racing? So you know what what their success has been or where their injuries maybe have been. Um, and that's just to mention two of the guys from this year that are just straight off the the, the top of the bat or the top of the head. Um, you know, but you are looking at, at things like that you know it's not just mm -hmm. about having sheets of paper in front of you and a lot of the time you have nothing in front of you so it's like studying for your leaving cert which is our state exam in Ireland that's what I feel like going into a race is every week every time uh, into a race it's like studying for for a big state exam um, and then there's other aspects to it as well it's not just about the athletes it's about the production so there is music that people want. There's new chart hits that you need to put into a playlist. There's discussions with the race director for the briefings, whether they're in person or online. Every race has its own little story to tell. Every race has its own little personality. And you want to make sure that you're presenting that personality and that race properly and appropriately because each race director, it's their baby and you're the person at the front of the house telling the story of the race well and of course you've got to remember to weave the sponsors in there without making it sound like an advertorial you've got to remember to sort of acknowledge the sponsors and obviously there's there's various grades of sponsors who have priorities in terms of you know their whether the headline sponsor whether they're the bike run or swim sponsor whether they're a, a global sponsor like you have in ironman now and um and I get these things change as well. So they must, they, I guess, occasionally I've, I found myself doing it when I've been commentating at outlaw events going, yes. And of course, here at the, uh, here at the Ironman, if, oh no. And if you get, if the race director hears you talking about another event, it's not a sackable offense, but you don't have, um, a little have tip for later. you, Simon. Always Sorry? look, a little tip for you. Always look at the finish line gantry. Yeah. Before yeah. you go to speak, it will have the name of the town or the name <laughs> of the event. And I'm telling you, that has gotten me out of a hole on many of an occasion, especially when you're doing back to back races. You yeah. know, when you're going from one location to the next. Sure. Like, for example, in, in the States this year, it was four four events, six race days, but four four locations over five weeks. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you forget where you are. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then if you've got a really long sponsor and they have to be mentioned every single time, then that can be quite hard. And you can draw yeah. an absolute blank and it is there's nothing worse. Nothing worse. Yeah, well, that, that's that's been one of my most embarrassing moments. Is uh, just We were just talking about something. I think it was we had the children's race, the... Um, the future outlaws and uh, as they were coming across I was saying something and it, the race director Ian Hamilton just happened to be walking down towards the finish behind just at that moment when I mentioned it so uh, yeah it cost me a bit but um what, what about <laughs> but, have you, know, you at the have, end of the day right we're human yeah you know we are human and, and we do our best to not make mistakes but mistakes can happen and mm. and it's just a part of life it's, I guess it's how you react to it afterwards or how mm -hmm. you try and make up for it um afterwards but um yeah and and you know what simon there's a lot of people who wouldn't be able to do the job that we do as an announcer mm. and i learned that you know over the past especially over the past i suppose six or eight months um and really we're we're in a very privileged position to mm. be race announcers because we're, you know we're not only sharing the story we're not only part of the athlete journey but the race directors hand us their event and they entrust us with mm. their event mm. Like they they do. They literally hand it to us and say, There you go. Mm. That's a very privileged position to be in. You were uh, you must have made a few mistakes that have been embarrassing. Joe, can you think of any that stand out? No. 
No, I'm too much of a nerd. Never make a mistake. Never, <laughs> ever, ever, ever. Oh, never admit to one. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 like I, I guess I touched on it there. It's, it's, it's like saying the name it's, or uh, saying the name of the place that you're in incorrectly or maybe forgetting where you are. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I'll never forget at one particular race, I was announcing the name of the person who was starting the race and I drew a blank. I had mm-hmm. it written down, but the bit of paper was wet. And I could not read the name of the person. I couldn't remember it. And I tried to say it and I said it wrong the first time and the second time. And then by the third third time, I tried to correct myself. I thought, oh, my God, I'm fired. Funny story, though. That particular individual was a a very high ranking member of staff of Ironman. And an embarrassing story that I had is that in Dunleary, I think it was back in 27 or 2018, on a race day. Now I didn't sleep in. I'll just have you know, I didn't actually sleep in. Okay. I didn't intentionally do it. It wasn't my fault. I set my own phone alarm clock. I set a second phone alarm <laughs> clock and I asked the hotel for a wake up call. Now I've mentioned that I get involved in the production side of things with each race that I do. Everything is timed to within mm-hmm. an inch of its life. Lots of production going on. You know, what we're going to say in the morning, when it's going to happen, important announcements that the race director might want you to make to the athletes mm-hmm. to keep things moving. So everything is written out. You know, anybody could actually stand up and start doing what I was doing, what I should have been doing at six o'clock in the morning. So my mom was staying with me. She was volunteering for the race. And at 20 past six, clock was set for four. 20 past six, the alarm goes off in the room. I'm like, what is that noise? And my mum said, what are you still doing here? It's 20 past six. I said, what? Oh, my God. <laughs> no. I was meant to be live on the microphone at six o'clock. The race was starting at seven. So I was meant to be there at 5.30. And I literally thought I was going to have a heart attack and a panic attack getting out of the room. I legged oh. it down. There's like a 200 meter, maybe longer from the hotel entrance down to the road. I remember shouting at some of the run team going, get me a gator. Somebody get me to the start line because it was a K and a half down the road. I arrived down and I still had the duvet mark on oh, my no. face of where I had been asleep. Oh, my God. I've never been late since and I will never be late again. I was traumatized and nobody really knew I was missing. Nobody knew except me but I was mortified and traumatized mm-hmm. and so upset I was I was ready to cry I'd say I don't know how many times on the day but I worked so hard that day to make up for being late mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. race director was like oh I had to do something that like the race you know could have been massively affected I had to do something to fix it if I hadn't done it this was my priority you not turning up irrelevant kind of thing you know um totally embarrassing but then to top it all off at that particular race where I forgot the race starter's name, there was a team table quiz. And the question was, which member of staff slept in in Dunleary? So not only had I gotten that senior executive at Ironman's name wrong, but now he also knew that I had slept in oh. for the race in Dunleary. So it was quite embarrassing. But I, I have lived it down and I can I can tell the tale. And, you know, we are human. It was all fine. Mm-hmm. The race went off perfectly. Everyone had a good day. But I'll never live it down ever. Do you when when you get the uh, we get a lot of race information that comes up on an iPad, um, and you can select what you want to see, and so you get people's names, their age, their age group, the club. Um, there's something on the entry form that also on the digital entry form that allows people to put comments why they're doing this race, which is always quite funny because when they enter in January for a race in July, they've often forgotten and they've written something like, yeah, I'm doing this as a bet and I'm going to run down the finish line, you know, wearing a silly hat. And then you shout it out to them. Say, yeah, come Bob, then he's going to stop for his silly hat. And they're like, how did you know that? How did you know that? And they've forgotten. Um, Now you're giving away a very special trick that people don't generally know. They think we know everybody, but we don't. No, Um, Don't be giving that trick away. (laughs) But it it does make me giggle sometimes when people have written this. And I'm sure some people have, have done it when they're with a bet with their mate and they've had a couple of bottles of wine and they've forgotten. They've completely yeah. forgot. Do you do you get that sort of information as well that helps you with your yeah, commentary and just yeah, allows you to do. share? Yeah. We do, and um, we would get. A, I, I guess the the other side of the funny stories are the emotional stories and the yeah. reason why you know, and they can be um, they can be very emotional. There can be many reasons why why people decide to to race, and and not just an Ironman, but like a seventy point three or a half half mm-hmm. marathon or a marathon. You know, people have lots of reasons why, and uh, some of those stories can be can be heart wrenching. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I find sometimes when I look through some of the stats in advance, I track some of the people that I might mm-hmm. know so that I can just try and, and mm-hmm. make their finish as, as special as it can be. You try to make everyone's finish as special as it can be, but I guess there's nothing like calling a friend or somebody that you've followed their journey um, mm-hmm. down the line um, at a race or an event. And, and that that's another part of, I think, that's hugely important with, with race announcing is that personal connection. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, we share the story, but actually that personal connection. And um, I, I think that's a huge part of where we get our buzz and our energy from as well. Um, Oliver Harkin will kill me when I tell this story, but he actually cried on the finish line in, in mm-hmm. Wales when he crossed the line. And I told him, I think, he, not that he had won his age group, but that he was second in his age group. And I think there was two slots um, and he actually physically cried. Now we've talked about it on, on my own podcast, on an interview I did with them, but he's a, a close friend. He's a good friend. And to be able to tell him and see him and the emotion mm-hmm. on the finish line, it was just incredible. Like there's so many stories, um, you know, of, of, of emotion um, that you could share from, you know, that we see coming through on, on on the spreadsheets and things like that. But even things like that happen on the day, like uh, in Bolton this year, Dave Riley missed, or, or sorry, got the cutoff by four seconds. Mm. He crossed the line with literally four seconds to spare. It was incredible. I, I, I've never jumped so high in my life on the finish line. I think it was four seconds. I could be wrong. It was very, very close. I'm almost positive it was four seconds. It was insane. And that was hugely emotional. He literally just collapsed on the finish line, mm. just about to come up 17 hours on the line. And uh, that was massive. Yeah. We, I, I did a podcast before the Outlaw Half this year with a, a young a young man called Sam Perkins, who five years ago had, had done the Outlaw Full and then got ill and then was diagnosed with having motor neuron disease. And it's a horrible disease. And um, Tim Hemming tipped me off that Sam was going to try and do this in a relay, the outlaw half. And he's, he's now in a wheelchair. He has to, um, he's on oxygen. Uh, so they got this specially adapted wheelchair and he got, he, um, you do laps of the lake and they'd adjusted the course so he could do it. Um, and, because they couldn't take it off road. And so he was going to do five laps and he got three people per lap to push him around in a relay and I did this podcast with him um, uh, a, f- a couple of weeks before, and then we published it um, two days before the race, and we gave it a lot of um, a lot of promotion. And then, of course, I, I went. I said to Sam, "I'll see you on the start line." So I made a special attempt to go down there and see him there, cheering off his swimmers. And then we kept talking about it. And I, I um, the other two, the two other announcers that were there, were saying, "Simon, I, I, I listened to your podcast. I was in floods of tears the whole way through." I don't think I'm going to be able to say anything about Sam. And then and the other one said, no, I don't. I'm going to break up. So it was left to me to call him and the team across the line. And I kept it together as he crossed the line. And I managed to give him a big up. And he was getting all the cheers. And he was, you know, he was big smile. And his whole team was there and his wife and his family. There must have been about 30 people. And then they had a, they had a photograph towards the side. I had to take five minutes out. It completely broke me there, and I had to hand the hand the microphone over to one of the others. I said, "I can't do this now. I, I need just five minutes." Um, yeah. And it, it was—I mean, it was a very emotional moment. But uh, you know, like you say, you're only human, aren't you? Yeah, and and there's so many stories. I mean, there's so many stories of overcoming adversity. Um, you know, we look at the likes of Nathan Ford. You know, he was at yeah. the top of his game, and I got to interview him on the podcast, and I. I haven't cried on my podcast ever until mm. I got to Nathan and I was quite emotional. Oh, okay. You know, it's it's very, um, again, it comes back to that human connection piece. Mm. And it's such a huge thing for people to to do whatever their choice is, like whether it's doing yeah, your yeah. very first 5K or doing an Ironman or longer than an Ironman, doing a 24-hour race, whatever it is. People have so many reasons why they do it. And we get to be just a teeny tiny part mm. of that journey. And I think that's very special. I, I interviewed Nathan actually last week. His, his podcast will be coming out, the first first one in the new year. So um, an amazing journey. And um, again, you know, an amazing story, really, for everybody concerned, as, as well as Nathan. Mm. Um, we've Have you ever had any proposals on the finish line? You must have had a few of those. We've we've had quite a few. Yeah, quite. A I few. mean, not 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 for you, Joe. I mean, I'm sure I everybody wants you to marry them. 
<laughs> yeah, quite a few. I mean, um, it's a very special moment for, for the couple and you try and make as much out of it as you can. But then obviously you've all the other athletes coming across the finish line as well. So you have to uh, to manage that uh, very, very um, closely and tightly. But yeah, it's great excitement. Always great excitement. We, we, we've had a few people saying, look, I'm going to ask my wife or my my partner to marry me when she comes across the line. I haven't told her about it yet. Can you make a big announcement? Like you say, well, what time are you coming across? You know, if they're coming across the 10 and a half hours and it's a whole flood of people and then we've got this guy kneeling on the, the finish line and we were all chatting about how I hope she said what will she what will happen if she says no <laughs> <laughs> well that's the risk you take isn't it well not us him maybe <laughs> well yeah that's it <laughs> can you can you think of anything that's been your most memorable moment in all of you in all of your finish line announcing oh wow uh there's been so many it would be really hard to pick. I guess, you know, I, I think Dave Riley this year in mm-hmm. Bolton was probably one of one of the highlights, like really wasn't sure whether he was going to make it or not. Um, that was massive. People finishing the swim with seconds to spare mm-hmm. and being allowed to continue out onto the course. Um, Hillary Hughes, actually, this year it was quite emotional in, in Utah at the Ironman the 2021 Ironman World Championships, Hillary Hughes from from Westport, um, she had said to me before the race, Joe, I really want you to call me across the finish line. And I was like, Hillary, sure, no problem. I did not know whether I was going to be on the finish line or not in Utah. I was there as part of the team, but you know, we were we had lots mm-hmm. of responsibility to do around mm-hmm. um, the hot corner and things like that. I never expected to be on the finish line. And so I didn't have the heart to tell her that I might not be there. So I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. No problem at all. And uh, Hillary is a phenomenal athlete. She turned pro after Utah. But I just happened to be in the tower on the finish line announcing with Mike. And I literally hit him and I said, here comes Hillary Hughes. She's mine. Like literally, Mike, shut up. And uh, I got to call her across the finish line. And when I went down, that ran down the tower, I was like literally threw the microphone back to Mike. The two of us were in floods of tears. It was just amazing. Mm. Um you know, she had said how important it was to her for me to call her across the finish line. And I was so excited to be able to call her across the finish line. She had done so well. She was second in her age group. I think she was fourth fastest female uh, age grouper overall. And I've known Hillary for years. I've watched her progress. I've watched her career. So things like that. When Again, it's that personal connection. It's mm. that moment across the line. And um, there were so many highlights. It, it it would be very hard to to pick. And then some of them, they all just run into each other, Simon, as well, you know, because you have so many athletes at, at mm. races that it's just insane. There's so many people. I, I know exactly what you mean about s- promising to call somebody across the line and then tracking them. And that you're standing there almost cross-legged thinking, right, come on, come on, you've got a mile to go, but I'm desperate. And or, or athletes that I've been coaching this year, two two athletes I was, I've been coaching who didn't know each other, came across the line, one behind the other, seconds apart. One, one had done his first um, full distance. The other one had set a PB by 20 minutes and they were both stood there congratulating each other. And I said, oh, by the way, and I, I managed to get them both coming across the line oh, at brilliant. the same time. I didn't... I think one had caught the other one up. So when I was looking on the tracker, he was a couple of minutes behind. Um, that that was quite a special moment. We had, I suppose, in Ireland um, this year. So Wales would have been a massive race for me every year. I've been doing it since 2012. It was my first full distance mm-hmm. Ironman that I got to announce. And I, I started working with Paul Kay that year. Um, so Wales always holds a very special place in my heart. I absolutely love the start. I love hardness the toughness of the race mm. um and it's an incredible town Tenby the people of Tenby are just amazing but obviously Ireland it's my home race you know I'm from Cork even though I live in Galway even though it's the other side of Cork where the race is on it's a very special time but this year we had a heat wave and everyone was like oh my god how are we going to mitigate against the heat <laughs> the athletes were freaking out you know the heat the heat the heat and that was all fine. OK, everybody got through the heat. There was extra ice. There was extra water. You know, people survived it and did really well. And then on Sunday at about six o'clock, it was like, oh, there's a thunderstorm coming. And it was like, what? There's a thunderstorm coming. OK, holy moly. So by I think I had taken a quick break on the finish line at maybe, I don't know, 730, maybe for 20 minutes to go grab something really easy to eat. And then I was going to just work the finish line right through. But as I came back to the finish line, I could see the thunder beginning to 
you could see the clouds and be, mm. the rain was beginning to come. I was like, oh, my God. Anyway, the next thing, the thunder rolled in and flash flooding and rain and the finish line emptied. Oh, my word. I was literally standing with the microphone in a thunderstorm. At one stage, I had an umbrella and I thought, mm, this is not a good idea. Get rid of the umbrella. <laughs> it was insane. But all I kept thinking was the athletes still need to hear you are an Ironman. It doesn't matter that it's lashing rain until they tell me to stop talking or until they stop this race. I need to be on this finish line to tell people, mm. no, you are an Ironman. And there was quite a few of my own clubmates coming in at that point or of people that I knew. And I knew quite a lot of the Irish athletes that were racing. So it was just really, really special and really emotional on the finish line at that time as well. I think it's a bit like Cork in 2019 when the weather was bad. There was an extra sense of this really took a lot to get to the finish line, more so than on a regular day on a regular Ironman. And it felt like that in, in Cork as well this year. And, and it was really emotional. Like, I know I was exhausted by the time we got to 11 o'clock, but there was lots of tears on, on the finish line in Cork. Um, happy tears for people, but really, really emotional. Um so I can't wait to do it all again next year. This year. I, I, I often think about that in the weather is whatever I'm putting up with there, whether it's the wind or the rain or, you know, um, the heat wave. Um, the athletes are also racing hard in this. You know, I can go and have a break or get out of the sunshine for five minutes. They're at it. So you feel like it's my duty to be there for them. They want somebody to call them across the line. And so I'm going to battle it out with them. I'm feeling their pain in some way and their discomfort. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, the Cork race was absolutely insane. I mean, Windmill Hill, Jay Luke on the on the microphone there at Windmill Hill. Uh, it, I mean, it's his hill now. It's called the Jay Luke Hill. Uh, he was absolutely uh, amazing mm -hmm. up there. But each race, as I, I said earlier, each race kind of has its own little personality. And um, yeah, it's it's super. And Cork was just incredible for the weekend. Back to back, 70.3 and a full distance race in two days. Insane. And so apart from, apart from the races in Ireland, obviously, and... Ironman Wales. What what are your favourite events to announce at? Oh. Do, or is that like asking a mother what their favourite child is? Yeah, like yeah, it's kind of hard. Every race brings with it a new piece of excitement, another bit of adventure, another connection, somebody else you're meeting, another opportunity. Um, the team is amazing. The Ironman team that we get to work with across the UK and Ireland. Um, I also work across other events. Like there's lots of cycling events that I would do, lots of running events as well. I do some work for gymnastics as well. I do all of their stadium announcing uh, for Gymnastics Ireland, national competitions. So it's really hard to pick a standout event, I guess. Um, one race that was kind of special this year was, you know, everybody says, oh, you'll never be able to race an event and announce it. Well, I did. Wow. <laughs> so I took part in a 24-hour bike race uh, about three weeks after having COVID this year. Um, so I was the race announcer and I took over their social media, uh, their Instagram for the 24-hour bike race. And I was part of the Cycling Ireland Women's Commission team. So there was eight of us. So I got to announce the race at the start, race the race, do a couple of stints and then go back to work and then do a few more stints on the bike and then go back mm -hmm. to work again. So I announced the start, the finish, and then did some Instagram stuff as well, which was really cool. And that's like a special standout memory as well. I think because it was so different in the sense of it was a bike race, I knew some of the people uh, from the previous year and then there was lots of new people as well. And it's such a huge thing to do a bike race, like whether it's a, a solo race or whether you're as part of a, a team of two, four or eight. So it was Mondello. Um, so that was very special this year. Um, but I think it's the people that bring, obviously they bring the, what's the word I'm trying to look for? The, it's not exclusive. They bring the personality for the race as well. Mm -hmm. They bring the the hype, they bring the fun and um, I always look forward to going to an event because of the people that we get to work with, that we get to meet, that we get to see, and of the stories that we can share. Mm. Are there any events that you, well, I'm going to talk about Kona in a moment. Is, are there any events that you haven't been to yet or, or announced that that you'd really like to go to? It's like oh, your, own, your own announcing bucket list. Um, I suppose the focus was on Kona for so long that that was where I really wanted to get to that I haven't really thought about it. I don't know where I could go next. 
potentially I hope they'll have me back the world championship team for 2023 um and um yeah I guess getting back to Kona would be the 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 thing yeah getting to Kona but, again would be good but you'd be you've been before to Kona this wasn't your first time was it 2022 no so I was there unofficially I was there well I actually went over with um try 247 back in 2015 and uh, did some work for John Levison and the crew there interviewing mm-hmm. some of the pros and the athletes and just getting a feel for what the big island was like and um, what Kona was like which was immense and it was after that then that I decided I was I was done with fundraising and I would go mm-hmm. into sport full-time so then in 2016 I went back out again and did a little bit of work for for John and um, uh, Mike brought me on as a spotter so I was unofficially on the team and a spotter in the tower helps to check the numbers and across the line and bring up the details of the athletes so that Mike mm-hmm. can call them across the line with that extra information and I did maybe an hour on the hot corner um, but I was there unofficially so this was the first Mm -hmm. year that I was there in an official capacity as part of the world championships team and actually working over there as part of the team announcing on the finish line hosting a variety of events and and getting stuck in it was absolutely incredible so this year was the first time they've had two races you know over 72 hours so you had that full day and then you've got a day off but it's not really a day off and then you've got another full day so I, I know how hard it is to do 17, because it's not 17 hours, is it? Because you've got to be up um, before the race starts and, and you still, you know, the adrenaline's going. So you're not going to bed as soon as the last person's crossed the finish line. And then, of course, with the staggered starts of the waves, then it's it's more than 17 hours of racing. So um, firstly, what how was that as an experience? Because I guess that's the first time you've done that format anywhere, is it? Yeah, that was the first time I had done um, two days with a break in the middle. And it wasn't really a break, obviously, as you mentioned, because, you know, we had a Women for Try event on the Friday morning after the women's race on the Thursday. And then we had bike check-in for the afternoon as well for the men's race on the Friday. And then you're prepping as well for Saturday because the information that you had for Thursday's race needs to change because now you have a men's professional field racing so there's lots of of work going on behind the scenes um but i had worked ironman portugal the festival weekend in portugal uh last year so we had a set a full distance on the saturday and a half on the sunday and then in cork obviously this year it was switched around so we were well used to the double day format it's exhausting and obviously um, it it takes its toll and it's not only exhausting because of the fact that you're on all the time but also the added pressure of world championships I mean you were there yourself Simon working and volunteering um, at the the bike check-in area you were on your feet as long as we were nearly um, just that we were you know maybe more public facing and 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 on a microphone um, but it was it was it was immense Immense, intense and incredible. They're the three words I would use to describe the experience in Kona. And that's all in a in a positive um, thing, I guess, from the from the Tuesday night before or maybe the Wednesday night before. uh, We probably only slept about four to five hours a night max. Um, And I don't know if you're like me, but the night before a race, when I know I have to be up in the middle of the night, I don't really sleep. So that definitely takes its toll. And obviously, after my experience in Dunleary in 2018 of not waking up, I have every clock set. Everyone knows my room number. The hotel has been warned to come banging on the door if I'm not out of bed. <laughs> Add in the humidity and the heat of Kona and mm. you're just like stressed to the hilt. <laughs> but um, it was an amazing experience. Um, If I was to pick two highlights from the whole of the experience, and I, I got to do so much over there. We had an incredible team. Um, It was obviously Mike's final Kona so it was very poignant very emotional um and it was just amazing but you know when they do the welcome banquet and mm-hmm. the people that are going up on the stage that are going to speak get presented with a lay so I've seen this obviously I've been in Kona in 2015 2016 I'd seen photographs and I wasn't there and for a long time I've really wanted to be in Kona to be part of the team and to earn my place as part of the team and it was a huge privilege and an honor to be there and and a huge opportunity I will never ever take it for granted that I that I got there um but when they presented me with the lay on the night of the welcome banquet and I got to go up on stage like literally it was moments before we got to go up on stage I thought oh my god I'm here oh holy Mm. moly this is it 
And then I got up on stage and I was really nervous, but I also was buzzing and the adrenaline was running through me and I just had to go with it. But it was just so overwhelming, but it was amazing. And then to see everybody and to hear the cheers mm-hmm. for the Irish accent, to hear the cheers for a female voice up on the stage as well. It was just fabulous. And um, that was definitely I think that was the first time I kind of realized that I was like, oh, my God, I'm in Kona and I'm here and I'm about to go up on stage. And this is insane. And wow. And it was definitely a personal wow moment. Mm. Nobody else probably realized it or knew it. But for me personally, it was huge. Mm. You said yeah. there were two. You said there were two highlights for you. Yeah. So the the second one was like, I was working the hot corner. Um. So we were working the hot corner on both days in the morning and whatever. Um. So myself and Carissa, the other female announcer, were working the hot corner. And on the second day for the men's race, um, Carissa was down at the start line with Paul and I think with Mike. And I was like, oh, I'll open up the hot corner. It'll be grand. We'll go up there. So I went up to the hot corner and um, was setting it all up. And you know how exciting it was for mm. the men's race um, with the way the swim broke up and the way the guys came flying up the hill and out they went. And Matt Dixon was there actually with me. Mm-hmm. And he was he was watching the live feed and I didn't have a live feed. I only had the iPad. So he was watching the live feed. I was watching the iPad as the things come up and um as the as it was coming live, I started talking and I could see them getting on the the Vinfast car was beginning to move and the scooter and all of this, all the action was coming. And then I just went hell for leather talking about every single professional athlete that came up the hill. Notice how I put my hand in the into the microphone position. <laughs> yeah. And I literally didn't take a breath for until I think we were waiting for Camworth, Lionel Sanders and Joe Skipper to come out of the water. And as they were coming up Polani out of the water on the bikes, the leaders were coming down the hill mm-hmm. and I had to leg it across the hot corner. And then they just started coming. And it was like, it was just insane. Um, it was intense and it was amazing. And afterwards, I just it, like it, it, it wasn't just calling their names either, Simon. It was the little bit of information like Sebi, you know, the 2014 world champion, mm-hmm. Patrick Lang, a two time Ironman world champion, you know, all the little bits of information while they're flying past me so, so quick. And then at the end, I was like, oh, my God, did that just happen. That was just insane. That's I've I've had that time as well when I've been on the finish line and you've got people coming past that are on their laps and you just you just get into a flow and you don't realize and then somebody says you know you've been rabbiting on for 90 minutes there how do you keep that up I mean uh, to be quite honest it's not difficult for me to talk 90 minutes non-stop in a, on a normal day but um I, my friends uh one of the athletes I was coaching his his mom said that that guy that was there he just talked but he knew everything about everybody and he mentioned everybody's name and he just didn't stop and I don't know how he finds the energy, um, but you just, <laughs> just get in amazing. occasionally. You yeah. just get into that zone, don't you? And it's just a, it's just yeah. an awesome feeling. You kind of are like taking a step back. Then you go, did that happen? And did anybody actually hear what I said? <laughs> I talking way too quick. But it was just <laughs> yeah. you're just as you say, you're in a flow and you're just buzzing. And mm-hmm. and and that was just a very special moment. And obviously, then you know, with that, it goes without saying, being on the finish line as well. It was a huge. Mm. a huge opportunity and um it was lots and lots of fun so Kona was hard work I won't lie um but it was a huge opportunity and I loved it and I I loved all the opportunities I was given to be part of the world championships um whether it was hosting the AWA breakfast or the athlete ambassador Mm. panel or getting up on stage for the awards or for the Mahalo party so whilst the racing ended on Saturday we still had an awards ceremony on Sunday night and then on Monday myself and Paul hosted the Mahalo party um so look it's huge massive uh absolutely fantastic well you Joe I was I was there as you know at the finish line um on the on the uh Saturday night right to the end as a as a catching volunteer and all for the last emotions of Mike's final farewell for the last finishers and then the awards banquet on this I thought you did a great job it was it was lovely to see you up there and to yeah you know having a female voice up there as well um uh, was was awesome so um I, i'm interested to know your thoughts on the changes for next year i mean uh, you know at that awards banquet we ironman had announced that the race was going to be back there in 2023 in that format but since then they've they've there's been a change whatever there is behind that whether it's local politics in kona or something else what, what 
what are your thoughts on having it separated, moving away from Kona? You know, are you able to say? Well, I mean, I suppose there's the change coming and um, with change comes challenges and opportunities. And it's just about how we embrace the challenges and the opportunities that now present themselves, both as um, announcers and as athletes. And let's see what happens. Mm. Do you, do you know yet what the I don't I'm not aware that the date's been around uh, um, announced for them for the other race not in Kona. No, I believe venue. it's uh, sometime in January. Yeah, so okay. um, not privy to that information at all. Okay, and we'll keep fingers crossed then that we see you at both of those venues now. Hopefully, fingers crossed. <laughs> do, you, do you know what the rest of your calendar is going to be like for 2023? Yeah, it's going to be very busy. Um, so there's uh, there's lots of events in the diary. Um, and even for 2024 and 2025, inquiries oh, wow. have started to come in. So it's a it's a it's a balancing act um, at times. So sometimes there can be clashes with um, some big events. Um, so it's uh, it's hard to tie everything down so early in the season. But the provisional calendar is in place. So I will be popping up in lots of different places um, across the UK and Ireland, and then um, lots of other events as well here in Ireland across mm-hmm. running and cycling as well. So mm-hmm. you know, I'm just as long as uh, I keep doing a good job. You're only as as good as your your last event, Simon, as you know. So uh, mm-hmm. I'll be keeping all of those uh, mispronunciations and forgetting where <laughs> I am to myself, <laughs> so I don't make any mistakes. Um, you obviously the you know the work's coming in more and more now. You're getting a you've you've got a great reputation that's growing. Um, but I know you've got this podcast that you do, and you've been running it for a couple of years now. And you know I've been running mine for a while, and it's always a challenge to find new guests and to get all that work. There's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes that perhaps people don't realise. <laughs> Um, how much of that do you do and how uh, I'm particularly interested in how you plan all that around when you know you're going to be out of the country for two or three weeks do you do you try to get a backlog of of things that are already in place or do you sort of say well actually I'm going to be here and there's an opportunity to interview this person yeah there's a bit of a mix um so I guess I, I started the podcast in May of 2019 and Today is Wednesday, so we release an episode every second Wednesday. So I think it's episode 97 uh, gets released today. I've only ever missed one episode um, since I started, and that was when I was in the States earlier this year in October. Mm -hmm. I had a choice of have some fun in Vegas or spend the day um, editing the podcast. So I decided to have some fun in Vegas. Um, Plus the timing in in Utah didn't lend itself to interviewing Mm -hmm. somebody. And I was just it was it just kind of flew past. And I was like, oh, do you know what? We'll just let it slide. Um, I kind of do a mix of both, Simon, to be honest. Sometimes I'll have three or four podcast interviews done. Other times mm-hmm. I'll literally be scrambling and flying at the seat of my pants trying to find somebody. Um, or somebody might be sick and you might have only just reached out to somebody to say, oh, I'd love to get you on the podcast in a couple of weeks time. Let's pencil something in. And that's actually what happened for this particular episode. Um, but thankfully, our guest was available and um, she's incredible. So, um, yeah, it's kind of it's a mix of both. The podcast is a passion project for sure. Uh, it takes a lot of time. And mm. I don't think people realize how much time goes into an episode. I do have a producer who makes me sound good and <laughs> manages all the music and all of that kind of stuff and pushes it out. But literally from sourcing a guest, booking a guest, um, sending over the the Zoom link, the questions sometimes in advance. More often than not, I'll send some questions just to give them a flavor of what they can expect. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no surprises um, to actually sitting down and editing the podcast and then pushing out the podcast. By the time I go to release the podcast on a Wednesday, I'm so over it that I don't want to be pushing it out almost. Like once I've mm-hmm. hit you know, the, the 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 socials are done. I'm like, oh, thank God, that's done for another week. Now time to get the next guest again. So it's a lot of work and I don't think people realize it, but I absolutely love it. And no more than I'm sure you found, Simon, it opens a door mm. into different avenues, into meeting different people, talking to different people and sharing other people's stories. And I think that, you know, that was the why that it was set up in the first place was to share other people's stories and to inspire others to follow their passion for sport, regardless of what it is. So the podcast is called Try with an I, Try Talking Sport, can be found on all podcast platforms. And um, yeah, it's it's good. It's a, it's a little window into 
into my life I give a little bit of an update as to what's happening in my life um and um and then we get straight down into sharing the stories of the athletes so it's and, and I'm sure you find as well Simon when you're on the finish line of a race that somebody will come up and say oh my god I listened to the podcast I love it or mm. I took up uh Zwift during the pandemic and now I'm here doing my very first triathlon you're like oh my god and so there's another connection another emotional mm. story that you'll have um so yeah, the podcast, I love it and I hate it in equal measures. Did I say my, that out loud? <laughs> my, my wife uh, gets in, finds it incredibly funny um, and uh, frustrating at times because we'll, we'll be somewhere, you know, like in Kona, we'll be having breakfast and somebody will say, are you Simon Ward? And I'm like, hold on a minute. I, I recognize your voice. Um, uh, uh, she's got used to it now. But then when I'm with my friends, we were at I Am Man Mallorca. Um, just, we just happened to be there on a... Um, a cycling trip and it was on it was the one that Ruth won um, a couple of years ago and we were right by the beach um, on the evening and we'd gone out to watch some of the final finishers and go to the finish line and say hello to Paul and we were stood there and we were in the bar and there was these four or five guys from I can't remember what tri club they were and they were they'd had a few beers but they were they were really noisy and they were giving everybody some big cheers and then one of them drunkenly stumbled over and said are you Simon Ward and uh, I said, yeah, yeah, I am. And I could see all my friends, their eyes were rolling. And then he grabbed hold of my mate and he went, he's bloody brilliant, this bloke. Do you know? And they're like, yeah, we know, we know. Yeah, but he is. Have you heard his podcast? Yes, thank you. Right, yeah, thanks, mate. And, and it's very um, it's very rewarding as well because, yeah. Yeah. you know, the sometimes the podcast feels like it's a monkey on your back. And I'm sure it's worse for you because you get an episode out every single week mm. um but it definitely you don't want to let people down by not putting a podcast out mm. and you want to remain consistent so um sometimes it's like oh my god I can't believe I have to do the podcast again and but then you get the rewards at the end of it and the opportunities that come with it and then those lovely connections like you've just mentioned and you know that you're reaching people that maybe you may not have reached before yeah. and then suddenly they're taking up triathlon or they're getting involved in sport in whatever way suits their lifestyle and that's a huge part of I think of the opportunity that we're given as well mm -hmm. and the positions that we're in um you know to be able to inspire others even though I'm I'm so far from an athlete these days, it's ridiculous, but that we still get the opportunity to help to inspire others and motivate them to to follow their own passion for sport. I think that's hugely important. No, I, I absolutely agree, Joe. It's, it is a passion. Um, I think I probably have the same emotions as you do as like, oh, I've got to do an interview now or, you know, but I, I hand on heart, I don't think I've ever had an interview where I haven't come away and thought, wow, that was, that was uplifting. That was amazing. I've learned some amazing things today. Um, some are a little bit more challenging than others, but um, you know, mostly it's about we we talked about using that whether you call it being curious or nosy or um, <laughs> inquisitive. Um, it's about when you ask people questions about themselves. I don't I've, I don't think I've found anyone who doesn't want, want to chat about what they do and what they love doing, um, and so that makes it a lot easier if you're asking about their passion as well. Absolutely, a hundred percent. And um, you're 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 providing a platform, I guess, for people to be inspired. And um, you know, everyone from an age group athlete to a world champion has has been on my podcast and on your podcast, and mm -hmm. they're very different and very similar in in so many ways. And um, it's just another opportunity to share the love of sport with people. And I, I mm -hmm. think that's very very important. I call it my own MBA, really. You know, I invest rather than invest a lot of money. I just invest a lot of time in finding people who have information and knowledge that I I'm interested in and curious and I and I want to share. And I've had a lot of I've had a lot of people who some of whom, you know, who are coaches who've been really, really gracious and um, uh, with sharing their knowledge. And I feel now as I'm getting into the later stage of my coaching career, it's it's important for me to share that with other people as well. You know, and knowledge I, is only, uh, we're only custodians of that knowledge, aren't we? A hundred percent. And I agree with you in terms of learning as well and being inspired ourselves. I mean, there's so many people that we get to chat with that there isn't one person that you don't come away from mm. a, an interview and go, oh, wow. It can be the teeny tiniest nugget of information that they give you and you're like I never knew that about them or oh wow they've overcome this to be this to do this I never I never knew it mm. um, and even some of the learnings that they have gathered over the years and they're sharing it with you and with your listeners yeah it's um 
I, I do love the podcast. I do love it. I do. <laughs> well, we're definitely going to put the show, um, the link in the show notes, Joe. So we'll point a few people to the podcast. I know people say to me, why, why are you promoting somebody else's podcast? I'm like, look, there's millions of podcasts out there. There's what Joe's got one podcast exit to mine and she's been gracious with her time. So why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I share that? You know, and we've, we've had similar guests and so we've had different guests. Um, there's room for everybody. There is room for everybody. So, Joanne Murphy, thank you very much for being here today. It's been absolutely brilliant to catch up with you. Um, best wishes for 2023, wherever you may be. Um, hopefully, our paths will cross more than once and I can uh, buy you a glass of wine or a beer at the finish line or after the finish somewhere. Thank you very much. And thanks for having me. And the very best of luck to you and to all of your athletes for the coming year. Hopefully, I'll see you somewhere in the world in 2023. Take care, Joe. Thank you very much. Thank you again to Joanne for being a guest on this week's High Performance Human Podcast. As usual, you can find links to all of the discussion topics today in the show notes below. Please also look out for that link if you're interested in joining our SWAT community. To make sure you don't miss any episode in the future, please go to iTunes, search for High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast and click the subscribe button. And that's all for now. I hope you have a great week and I will see you on the next episode.